Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Talking Your Way to Change, and this is your host, Dr. Zan Banker. I've decided to do a few episodes on what is called polyvagal theory, or PBT. Polyvagal theory was presented in 1994 by Stephen Porges, a brain-based researcher, author, and professor. Clients seek therapy for general complaints such as depression, anxiety, trauma, eating disorders, as well as specific problems or problem areas such as why do I have such a difficult time setting boundaries? Should I stay in a marriage with a partner who's had an affair? I'm coping with an illness. And despite all these differences in presenting problems, people do have habitual patterns of symptoms that we can diagnose, but underlying them all are our bodies, our physiology, and our autonomic nervous system. And often it's compromised. By studying humans' autonomic nervous system, we can discover how the different states that our nervous system is in can create and drive our stories and symptoms. PVT is a powerful, widespread theoretical application. PVT is not a counseling approach. It does not compete with specific modalities of therapy, and it can be applied broadly to all counseling theories It can be applied to our everyday life, our work environments, education, medicine. PVT offers another lens to conceptualizing a person's troubling life situation and how they are responding to it. It helps me as a psychologist to understand and empathize and meet my clients where they are while also knowing that I can rely on my physiology and their physiology and the dance between our two systems to provide a healing experience. What I love most about the PVT theory is it also suggests that healing interventions not only work gradually, session by session, day by day, step by step, but also that these healing experiences are emergent and unexpected growth and healing can happen. I want to just sort of highlight some of the, maybe the three most um, organizing principles of polyvagal theory. One is that we need co-regulation, that we as humans and mammals cannot regulate alone. Two, what's called neuroception, which is the detection that occurs outside of our awareness about what's going on outside of us, inside of us, and between our nervous system and another person's nervous system. And three, that this autonomic nervous system has a hierarchy, those three pathway circuits, ventral vagal, sympathetic, and dorsal vagal. Okay, let's get into more specifics. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about co-regulation. So our nervous systems were never meant to regulate alone. As infants, we were born into a world with an underdeveloped nervous system, including our brains. And in order to fully develop and regulate these systems, we needed another person. And oftentimes that person was our mother. It is a biological imperative and necessary for our survival that we 
learned how to regulate our systems with our mothers or caregivers. Humans and mammals send and receive signals for connection and survival. This has a reciprocity to both the caregiver and the infant. Although we don't often think in these terms, our social communications with one another, even as adults, are neural experiences. These signals are communicated through facial expressions, prosodic vocalizations, such as where we stress or added intonation, how fast our speech is, our gestures, reciprocity, that we face one another, that we touch one another. When we're not able to co-regulate and we are threatened, we rely on habitual survival patterns, our defense mechanisms. And if we grew up in unsafe environments, our autonomic nervous systems developed habitual patterns of a survival response that probably was either too much or too little. And we'll get into that later on when we talk more about the various states that our autonomic nervous system can, can go into. Okay, concept number two, neuroception. That's a term that Dr. Porges coined that is used to describe that these processes of constantly sending and searching for cues of safety and danger happen outside of our awareness. They happen even outside of our perception. He gives the example of neuroception being the sensation that while driving, when you just know when someone is going to cut in front of you, even before they actually do, and you're able to perceive it then, and then your brain interprets it and you respond. It is the scanning for information internally inside our bodies, scanning the environment. And then when we're with another person, we're sensing the connection between our nervous system and theirs. An example of that might be knowing when you meet someone and feeling that something is off, but you don't really know what it is. Maybe they just, it's something just feels like maybe they don't like you or maybe you don't like them. If you're an adult, you're able to sort of shape a narrative about this to help you cope with it, right? Like maybe the person's having a bad day. But if you're an infant or a younger child, those, that neuroception can be overwhelming. Neuroception is the nervous system answering the question, in this moment, am I safe or am I in danger? Okay, that brings us to the third organizing principle of polyvagal theory, and that is that our autonomic nervous system has a hierarchy, a three-pathway response. Dr. Porges proposed that the autonomic nervous system has three parts in contrast to the traditional model of the autonomic nervous system having two parts, the parasympathetic, which was rest and digest, and the sympathetic being fight or flight. Many psychologists taught their clients about this dualistic model paradigm particularly when treating anxiety disorders. It was thought to some degree that anxiety was a misidentification of danger and thus an activation of the fight-flight response. We taught folks that they could 
not be in the fight or flight if they were in that relaxation response mode. This model was particularly and partly successful with anxiety, but it did not explain well what was happening to people's autonomic nervous system when and after they experienced trauma. It did not account for what many now know as the freeze response. PVT is an expansion of this earlier model, and it was readily received within the field of trauma. Polyvagal theory describes the autonomic nervous system as having three tiers of response, maybe three circuits, you could say. These are the social engagement system called the ventral vagal system, the sympathetic system, and the dorsal vagal system. When these, when our nervous systems are in ventral vagal, we are able to connect, communicate, and co-regulate with others. If we're in the sympathetic nervous system, we are engaged in fight or flight. And if we have been in fight or flight and the challenges in our environment exceed those responses, we drop down into the dorsal vagal, which includes rest and digest, but also more dangerously defensive responses such as freeze, immobilization, and shutdown. Deb Dana uses a ladder to depict these states, which is a nice visualization. When we're high on the ladder, we feel socially engaged and we're connected. When we start to feel disconnected and we feel a threat and we feel like we don't have the resources to deal with it, we drop down into that sympathetic nervous system into fight or flight. Ideally, she states that what we want with this ladder is some fluidity throughout the day, depending on the challenges that we face, we're moving up and down the ladder. In the ventral vagal parasympathetic response in polyvagal theory, when I'm up in ventral, I feel safe and I'm oriented to my environment and I'm ready to socially engage and connect and I feel curious and I'm connected and I feel compassionate and calm and grounded. My resistance to infection and immune responses has increased. I have intestinal motility and I have an increased oxytocin. If I drop down into the sympathetic state, my body has sensed danger and I have become hyper aroused. I'm either going to fight or I'm going to flee. I am looking for others or something outside of myself to calm me down. Other people in my environment might be my competitors. My blood pressure has elevated. My heart rate has elevated. My adrenal glands have increased. My immune response has decreased. Now, if I'm in this state for too long, I'm going to drop down into the dorsal vagal area. And that's when I'm going to have an increase in fuel storage and insulin activity. I'm going to have more endorphins released that are going to numb my pain. My heart rate is going to decrease. My temperature is going to drop. My muscle tone is going to go down. If I can't find another human to attune to, I might disassociate and become numb, depressed, hopeless, and 
any of that doesn't work and I fear that my life is threatened, I may even go down into complete shutdown. I feel trapped and my body is preparing for death. The circuitry or the states in the most simplest form, if we were just going to use one word to describe each state, would be the, the dorsal vagal would be collapse. The second sympathetic system would be called mobilization. And the third one would be called engagement. So I'm either engaged, I'm mobilized, or I'm collapsed. And some of these states will blend right? Most people are aware of when their nervous system is in that sympathetic fight or flight, and they feel that the defensive aspect of their nervous system has been kicked on. They are in fight or flight, right? Versus someone else who might be really mobilized, but maybe they're out for a run and they don't, you know, they're not, they're just feeling that they're using all of that energy channeled into mobilizing their body but they're not responding or confronting danger. It's more difficult to be conscious of when the more subtler forms of danger, such as disconnection, isolation, occur. When we are disconnected or isolated for too long, we can start to go down into that dorsal vagal and we're just dropping further and further down and what would this look like? Well, a person might be kind of um, confused, maybe a little spacey. They might feel tired or numb. They might sort of forget things, walk into a room and wonder, why did I, why did I come in here? And although maybe what they need more than anything is to mobilize enough so that they could engage with someone to help them pull them out of dorsal, they don't really have the motivation to do that because they're sort of collapsing into that immobility, right? So you might relate this model to your states of engagement. Do I feel engaged? Do I want to mobilize? Do I want to collapse? When you're moving on the ladder, one of the things that I find the most helpful is that you can only move so many rungs at a time. So if you have hit the pandemic wall and someone suggests that you take up aerobic exercise, you're likely not to be successful. However, you might be able to move your body to go sit outside for maybe even just 10, 15 minutes. And while you're outside, see if you can use your environment, nature, to help you regulate your nervous system you might start to feel a small level of activation, just small. And you might even feel that enough activation that you might want to walk to the end of your driveway. You're not ready to go for a run, right? And you're not quite ready to call your friend, but you might be willing to sit outside. The other thing that we know about this model is that we need co-regulation. It is a must. So the more that we were regulated successfully by our caregivers, the more that we internalized healthy ways of regulating ourselves. And we can call on this and use this at times, right? Because we've internalized it. But if you've never had that, 
then you need another person, another pet, an animal, a living thing, the environment. And oftentimes, that's what therapy helps with. We must have others to help move us out of the dorsal vagal system. We're not wired to self-regulate. If we were able to self-regulate, it's only because at one time we did have that co-regulation and that it was internalized. So that doesn't mean that we can't regulate ourselves when we're alone, but it means we need something to help us. It might even be listening to a podcast, listening to another person's voice, petting an animal, like I said, going outside, many ways to help ourselves if we're alone, but we don't want to think about doing it all alone. I wanted to give some examples of how polyvagal theory can improve your life and your relationships. Let's use your response to the COVID pandemic. If your response to the COVID pandemic has been to gain weight or lose motivation to do basically anything that you used to love to do, from a polyvagal perspective, this makes sense. Right now, how many people do you think have been stuck in the dorsal vagal part of their nervous system? I'm guessing a lot. We have all had to cope with threat and danger for so long that we most likely have lost hope in knowing how to make the best careful decisions about how to protect ourselves and others, particularly if we, if we haven't had the support of others. So knowing about polyvagal theory can help us not pathologize and personalize our symptoms. It can keep us from shame and harness our own egos. Number two, polyvagal theory is stating that we could all benefit from being able to identify ourselves on the ladder of our nervous system and develop mechanisms that will either help us put on the brake when we're sinking further down the hierarchy of arousal and defense, or when we need to step it up and step on the accelerator to move up the ladder. These strategies will vary from person to person, but in many ways are universal. In the next episode, I will give a few examples of how this theory might come into play in our day-to-day -day lives. Here's an example, though, before we go in the day-to-day -day life of parents. Many times our children come home from school or spending time in the world and bring us information that they have learned and absorbed that seems very alarming to us, such as they might have learned something about sex, a sexual act, drugs, violence, other children harming themselves in front of them in the classroom, throwing things, strangling themselves, cutting, discussing suicide. A lot of stuff is going out on out there in the world. And as a parent, you can become quite overwhelmed by the content of what they're bringing you. But really, what they're bringing you is their unregulated, autonomic, upticked nervous system. And it's your job to help them regulate those processes by keeping your own nervous system regulated and calm. How to do this? Look at them, touch them, hold them, moderate your tone, don't display your alarm, say a few calming words like, boy, that sounds like that person's in a lot of pain and distress, but doesn't have the good, any good tools that they need to help themselves. Thanks for letting me know, and I will get some adults involved. I'll call the school or I'll talk to the parents. 
and talk to them about how that they can be kind and also set boundaries around how much time they interact with other children who are presenting them with this type of material that is too much for their autonomic nervous system. Those kids who are bringing in the material to school are desperately looking for co-regulators as well. Of course, they're going to tell their peers. We just need to make sure that they find the adults who can help them. I heard an analogy that I just loved when listening to a speaker talk about this theory. And she said, you know, if we saw a horse barking in a field, we wouldn't really need to know why the horse was barking without knowing, hey, um, horses don't bark. So I think something here is very wrong. Our kids are essentially bringing us the things in the environment that they know at a gut level are off, but they don't really know why. Sometimes we can get so caught up in that story and in telling them the story and trying to figure out why people do what they do, but we only make ourselves and our children more anxious. You've got this, parents. Just think, hey, it's my job to help them regulate. They can't do it alone. I don't have to solve the problems of the world, but I can stay close to my child in this moment and be calm. PVT can help you with parenting, more specifically, regulating your child's response to stimuli and life events that wreak havoc on their nervous system. Thanks for joining us this week on Talking Your Way to Change. You can also visit our Facebook page. You can subscribe to the show on Anchor or iTunes so that you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, we would appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or you could just simply tell a friend. I need to alert everyone that this podcast is not meant as a substitution for mental health treatment. So although the podcast deals with psychotherapy, this is not your psychotherapy. Okay, thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Dr. Banker.